Something we say when we refer to a particularly good day or about the day when something really good happened is we call it a DTR. A DTR. A day to remember. It's what we call a special day. Something good really happened on that day. And um, something that we often are reminded of. You can go with the first slide there, please. It's an ADTR, a day to remember. So this morning, that's what we want to talk about. And we want to do it in the context of where we are in Exodus. And if you're here for the first time, please, we're journeying through the book of Exodus. And we're coming close to halfway, which um, is great. But anyway, we're not trying to get us to the end as soon as possible. We're trying to get as much as possible from our journey. So no matter, no matter how old or how young you are, each one of us will have some form of a, an ADTR in our lives. Isn't it? A day to remember. I don't know what it would be for you because some people may remember their date of birth. I'm going to think like that's very good if you can. Hey? Um, most of you won't. Most of you will remember something about your life that just stands out. For those of you that have not gone through the normal thing that many people do, and that's not necessarily everybody should do that in terms of wedding days, for a lot of people, their wedding day stands out. Some people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to remember that day. <laughs> but anyway, some people can remember the day when they finished school or when they learned how to drive and they got their driver's license. And if you bought it, please don't remember that day. All right? If you got it in, in, in some cunning way, that's not common to Zimbabweans. Um, but if you got it in the wrong way, please don't remember it. Maybe repent of it, yeah. There's another RE that you can do about it. But anyway, we, we remember these days. We, we remember our, the birth of our children. For me, I remember the 9th of October 2010 very well. Because it's the day that I arrived here in this nation. There was an ADTR for me, a day to remember. So coincidentally, it's the 9th today as well. But the 9th was my first day, our first day in Zimbabwe. And so, yeah, well, anyway, praise the Lord. It really was an, an ADTR. And as we, as we look at the book of Exodus, in terms of where we are, we're arriving at a significant day to remember. It really is something remarkable that took place for the nation of Israel. And out of that, I want to try to find some significance about an ADTR for us as a church today. And it's not like we're going to remember the 9th of October 2022 for the rest of our lives because something, whatever happened. And, but there's something in the spirit I believe God is saying to us. And I want us to, to grab hold of it. That's why we send out uh, a reminder to you about this morning. Because I really believe that it's an ADTR for us as a church. But it's also something for us as individuals that we need to grab hold of. And so if you're a visiting person, those guys from South and from wherever else, please join us in our ADTR that we want to celebrate today. But there's also something that's available, that's applicable to everybody. So if we go to Exodus, we, we had finished all the plagues last week. Remember, we kind of wrestled through all 10 of them in one session last Sunday. And... Um, it was, it was good, and I'm sure that there's more that we could have um, done on it. But we need to pick up right before the final one is about to take place. We mentioned it last week, but I want to just go back to before it's taking place. And we're going to look at the final conversation quickly that um, was held with Pharaoh. 
Moses had this final chat with Pharaoh. He'd had numbers of ones before every plague, and even before the plague started, we see that there were those. But chapter 11 of Exodus, we see that verses 1 and verses 4 and 6, it happens. And I'm going to just read it to you. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague will I bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. It's kind of like God saying, one more chat, one more talk with Pharaoh, and that's it. I'm going to give him one more chance. And so it carries on in verses 4 to 6, where this plague is announced, where, where the firstborn in every household in Egypt were to die. And Pharaoh is warned. One last moment that God says to him, if you let my people go, then I won't do this, like all the other plagues. But we know that once more Pharaoh refuses. God was patient, but eventually his judgment came. Kind of like just in that moment, we've got to recognize, ladies and gentlemen, that we can't mess around with God's judgment. Can't keep on saying, ah, no, there will be more grace. There will be more grace. Grace and judgment go together. And I think we, we, we speak too much only, only of grace. And it's like, no, just carry on. Do whatever you want to do. Come on, Pharaoh. There will be another time. Go in. It's been nine times that God had warned that if you don't, then, and I kind of just played around with God. And, and there's one more warning. And we know what that came to. But the point for us is this morning, don't fool around with the grace of God, ladies and gentlemen. God's been speaking to you about something. If you know that there's something, if you as a person this morning visiting us and you've not come to the place where you repented and said, Jesus, please, I want to accept you as Savior and Lord of my life. I don't want to keep on just postponing, postponing, postponing. Please don't fool around. Please don't fool around with the, life, with, with, with the grace of God. Because judgment waits for all of us. And so... The next thing that happens in chapter 12 is that this rescue plan, because now there's, there's imminent judgment coming on, on Egypt, but there's a rescue plan that is about to be introduced to the Israelites because they're going to be saved. They're going to be delivered from what is about to happen to all of Egypt. They're probably the minority. I don't know. what We don't know how many Egyptians they were at that time. We know that it says that about... 600,000 men, Israelites, left with all the women and children. But we don't know how many Egyptians there were. The point is that judgment came upon the Egyptians, but there was a rescue plan for God's people. And so in chapter 12, the whole chapter is, is this introduction to what God's going to do to his people and for them. It's amazing that this moment is so incredibly significant for them as an emerging nation, that it actually changes their whole calendar. Did you know that? You read about it in, in verses 1 to 2 of chapter 12. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. I'm starting something new because I'm delivering you. It shall be the first month of the year for you. How's that? Such an incredibly significant moment of God's deliverance that comes that it will become a DTR to them. A day to remember. 
It says in verse 3 that a lamb had to be sacrificed and it ought to be a male without blemish. It says in verse 7, we don't have time to go read through all of them. You can do it at your own time. It says, then they shall take some of the blood of this lamb and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house of the houses in which they eat it. So they ought to be eating it, having a good braai or a barbecue for some of you that don't understand that wonderful Hebrew word called braai. Braai, say with me, braai. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I love the influence of South Africa in, in Zimbabwe. The word braai is originally South African, for those of you that never knew that. Um, the, word, the, the concept braai is originally South African also. Now, it's originally Hebrew. I mean, the, it's from God, by the way. God said to them, don't cook it in pots and stuff and boil it. Braai it! I mean, that's so biblical. All right? So, have a good braai. It's a very godly thing to do. Anyway, so they, they told to go and, and kill it. And after having killed it and before they braai it, they need to take the blood and, and put it on the doorpost, which sounded like a silly thing. And they also are told in verse 11 of chapter 12 that they need to actually be ready as they eat. They should be clothed and ready to move. Did you know that? It wasn't going to be just this lovely dinner, lovely setting. It's like a little fireplace going, like the kids sitting over there and reading whatever. And uh, no, it's just going to be, it says in verse 11, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Which means you've got to be ready to move. I'm about to do a significant thing. You've got to be ready to make a move. That's verse 11. So in this sense, it also talks to us about, us, us as believers, don't be attached to things of the earth. <laughs> don't be attached to things of the earth. Be ready. I'm not saying, watch out for death and that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, don't cling to things. Here it says, listen, you've lived in, they lived in, in Egypt for 430 years, the nation of Israel. They must have built up some stuff. <laughs> 430 years is a long time. They've handed down stuff down those years. It's like, oh, my, my dad's this and my parents that and my great-great-grandfather's that stuff. No, no, just be ready to move. Even the stuff that you and I have accumulated over your lifetime so far, don't hold on to that stuff. Hold on to Christ because he's of eternal value. The things that we're holding on, the phones and the whatever stuff and the, you don't touch this of mine. Ooh, don't touch that thing. It's only, I'm the only one that can use it. No, no, no. Let, let your grip be on the stuff here on earth be loose. But let your grip onto God be tight. Amen? So we see that coming through here. And then it says very clearly that the doorpost, or the blood on the doorpost rather, will be a sign of protection. That God will pass over. The angel will come. And where there's no blood on the doorpost, there will be death inside. Where there's blood, there will be protection. And so the firstborn from that house would not be taken. And you can read through that all in chapter 12. Then in verses, verses um, chapter 11 rather, let me quickly go there. It says in verse 14. No, no, it's chapter 12 verse 14. I got it wrong there. It says, this day shall be for you a memorial day. This is where ADDR comes in. This day, when I come to protect you and destroy the Egyptians and the firstborn from that, 
It says, this day shall be for you as a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And guess what? It's still being kept today. You go and ask any Jew, Jewish person. One of the greatest days of their greatest celebration, the feast that they keep, is Passover. It's still being celebrated today. So it became a day to remember. Amen? And God wanted this to be instituted, not just for them, but for future generations to look back and say, I know why we're doing it today. Because what God did there was so significant that we can stop here to remember what God had done. So just some important things to note from this. We've got to see that salvation was possible through faith and not familiarity. Because I stopped you and I thought, hey, I would have been cunning. Egyptian. I'm like, I know my Hebrew friend, Samuel. We play together. I heard about this thing about, you know, you know doorposts. I'm like, I'm going to just sneak into Samuel's house. <laughs> I'm going to just linger a bit longer. Because, hey, mom, can I not do an overnight, you know, sleep with my friend? Maybe that'll save my life. I mean, imagine. If you were at the right place, right time, maybe you could have been saved. But God was very clear that this was for those that would partake of the meal as well. And in the meal, recognize God. So it's not just, I position myself in the right house and I'm like, hey, hey, I was saved. Imagine, if you as an Egyptian knew that, that God was going to bring judgment on the houses without the blood, maybe you would have also sneaked some blood. So it wasn't just the blood on the doorpost. It was the faith inside of the household. That saved the people. And which brings us to the point that we can be in a household of faith, but actually live without faith. Isn't it? We can be gathering like this and, and pretend that we have what it needs, faith. And I'm not talking about works and the right dress code and the right look or the whatever right thing you think to be right that qualifies us. No, we can be in this place and think that we have done what is needed to be done. But God says, I look deeper. I look at the heart. Yes, the doorpost. But even in that, God was saying that no foreigner shall eat of it. You're going to come in and you're going to partake of the meal. You're going to partake of what God was saying. It is through this that there's salvation for you. Now, we know that it's not eternal salvation. But in that moment, Salvation only came for those who put their faith in God and was part of the household. Which really talks to us about, again, about a household of faith. Have faith in your heart, but be part of a household of faith too. It's a very interesting thing that John Calvin, the well-known reformer, um, he said the following. He says, as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race will remain useless and of no value for us. So again, you can come into the household, you can come into a gathering, you can come and even sign up and, and, and seemingly are part of a local church and participate in godly activity. But if Christ is outside, if he's not king of your heart, then everything that he's done is of no value to you. You can be under the signpost, church, Christian. But if it's not real in your heart, my friend, my plea to you this morning is don't mess around with the grace of God. God has come to redeem those who believe in Him and put their faith in Him. 
carries on. The celebration pointed to a better one to come. So what they were doing that night and putting up the, or killing a lamb without blemish, it says also the bones of that lamb shouldn't be broken. And they were, they'd taken the blood and they smeared it and they'd partaken of it, and they'd eaten of it and it brought salvation that night. It actually refers to something that was coming, that they were to remember not only what God did for them in the past and what he is going to do in that moment, for what he was going to do for them in the future. And so this is a beautiful thing about the Bible, is that everything in the Old Testament points towards the fulfillment of what we find in the New Testament. And so much of the Old Testament is, is rather confusing to us unless we bring the New Testament in. And don't ever separate the two. Don't just stick to the New Testament because you're like, I like the stories. I like the Jesus stuff in the New Testament. Hey, there's lots of Jesus stuff in the Old Testament. And don't deprive yourself of the full picture. This is a beautiful moment where we see the, the blood of the Lamb coming to bring a, a form of rescue, a deliverance to people physically. But we know in Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth, speaking about Christ that will to come. So he became, in the form of a man, he came and he was like a lamb that was killed for you and me. And John 1, John says, John the John the Baptist, he, he, he sees Jesus for the first time and he says, Behold what? The Lamb of God. In John 1.29. He recognizes that this man has come to be killed. To be slaughtered for you and my. So his blood is not on my doorpost. We don't have to paint our doors with blood. Imagine how scary that'll look. No, his blood has forever covered our sin. Has taken away. And, and that's why this is a moment where actually what was happening was referring to a greater feast that was to come. And it's so sad in a sense that, and praise the Lord, we're not in any way mocking or, or in any way criticizing the Jewish people, but they're celebrating the Passover in waiting in lieu of the Messiah still coming, but he's already come. Passover has already been fulfilled. He became our Passover. And 1 Corinthians 5 or 7, it says that, that Christ is our Passover lamb. Paul says that. So he had come to fulfill. An interesting thing is that during Passover, that's when Jesus was crucified. And it's just incredibly significant that you realize that that weekend was the weekend that they had set aside for that annual Passover feast that had started on this day to remember. Jesus' death brought this incredible Deliverance for us. Salvation is why we say salvation came through substitution. Salvation was made available through His life. The divine exchange. We should have been killed. Our blood should have been spilled. But He instead came and He let His blood flow for our benefit. He didn't come, Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, but he came to Jerusalem to become the ultimate Passover. It wasn't like, hey, it's Passover, let me rush to Jerusalem. It had been set 
in the history of humanity by God Himself that on that particular weekend, Jesus will not go to celebrate Passover only, which He did, by the way, with His disciples. The very last significant Passover was actually that one that Jesus had with His disciples in Luke 22. He didn't come just to do that. He came to become the ultimate Passover for you and me. That is the day to remember above all other days. So we have this Passover moment where, where the Israelites were saved from what they went through. A day to remember indeed for them. But the ultimate day to remember is the day Jesus dying on the cross for you and me. And I trust that each one of you also has a day to remember when you made that real in your life. I was kind of like through, going through my, my old Bibles and, and trying just to see, because I remember in 1986 when I, when I turned my life towards Christ, I, I, I don't have a specific day on which it happened or a date. I remember it was, it was May, June, May, June, 1986. And, and I went through my old Bibles and, and, and I never, before knowing Christ, my Bible was just an instrument there that I dusted off every now and again just to make myself feel better. And, and I remember that and at that time of turning to Christ and becoming born again, I started reading my Bible. And I started making notes in my Bible. And I went back to this Bible and I saw that, sure, this is one of those things that you remember, you know. I found an inscription. I found a note that says, 0106, it's like that was the first time in my whole life that I made a note in a Bible because it meant so much to me. The Bible became real to me before it was just a book. So on the 1st of June, it seems like the first time I ever wrote something in a Bible that was of significance instead of just writing my name in the front saying this belongs to me. But the first time that something became real to me was that day to remember. I love that. It's just like, so I've got a date that something significant took place that I, my God, I thank you for that ADTR in my life. And I thank you for the 17th of December, 1988 too, when I got married to Sumin. So I can't forget that day. Hey? Anyway, how many men could quickly just raffle off their, their um, wedding date like that? Just as a challenge to us quickly. Oh, some of you are in a bit embarrassed. No, no, let's not go there. Anyway, so... An ADTR that stands out. And then out of this moment where, where God said, this is how I'm going I'm to rescue you through this plan of blood, the actual exodus happens. And it's in chapter 12 and verses 31. We read how they were released. It says, actually, Pharaoh saying to Moses and Aaron, because now the firstborn incident had happened. Verse 31 in chapter 12 says, and there was a great cry in Egypt, verses 30 rather, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Hey, that's amazing, eh? Something. Then he summoned Moses, Pharaoh, and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as you have said. It's like, oh wow, thanks Pharaoh, that's why we're going again. We're not just getting out of Egypt, we're going to serve. We're going to serve and worship our king. So what a wonderful thing. Pharaoh finally releases them to go and serve the Lord. And so the exodus happens. And, and then as it happens, we see this very interesting thing because in verse 39, it says, And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt 
for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. They couldn't wait for the bread to rise, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So they took unleavened bread out and there they go with this bread. And we see that in Deuteronomy later on. And part of the Passover feast today is still you've got to eat unleavened bread. And Deuteronomy in chapter, I think it's 16 verse 3, it talks about the bread of affliction. So God's saying to them, when you take the people out, let them go with this bread of affliction. It's not that the bread was just so bad. Sometimes there is food of affliction around us, isn't it? It's like Brussels sprouts. I think it's like that stuff brings about affliction, I'm sure. Anyway, um, but, but they went out because this bread was used as a reminder of the affliction that they had gone through. And pretty much every time that people partake of Passover, they're reminded through this bread of the affliction that they had gone through. And I think that in this, there's something about the tough moments that we, that we go through that actually they build so much hope. And that shouldn't be despised. God says to them, use this. You're going to be reminded of this day of my salvation through the bread of affliction. And eating this bread is not bad. It's just a great moment to rejoice in what you've seen me do and so when we stop when we consider and you may not have to eat anything bad <laughs> but as you stop and you look back you're reminded and you will find so many reasons to rejoice in the lord because he has been good and he has been faithful and in our life and in our lives i it is so good for me i just thought about this one i have the benefit by the way of of, of giving you some examples because i've thought it through you now need to go find your own but I looked at just our lives, you know, that we've been together and that I've been on my own and just looked at those moments of affliction. And I'm like, God, they were tough. And they still are tough sometimes. And, and, and you know, it's not easy. I remember one, one Saturday afternoon it was. We were in South Africa. And you all think that in South Africa all is just fine. It's not always fine. We were facing some real tough moments there. Church that we were in had, had financial struggles. And, and, and as pastors, we weren't paid um, and we couldn't get enough you know to survive every day and so I remember the Sunday after Saturday afternoon I had to go to the shop and buy some stuff that we could with the I think it was like a hundred rand or something that we had I'm like gee god I just and I took my sons with me two of them were with me and I remember going and paying for the little that we could buy with the hundred rand that we had at our disposal and we paid and the lady said to me oh You've won a voucher. Like, what kind of voucher? And I think it was like 500 or 1,000 rands worth of groceries that we could now go and buy. And I'm like, wow. And my sons were there with me. And it was just such a beautiful moment to celebrate with them. Because we went home and we, we told the rest of the family, listen, look, at we went to buy perhaps, you know, a few loaves of bread and maybe milk or whatever. But we came home with a trolley of stomach. Like, gee, how did you, what did you do? What did you do? <laughs> No, no, we didn't do it. Look at what God had done. In that moment of affliction, God turned it into a moment of testimony. And that's the same for these guys. That affliction became an ADTR for them where they say, look at what God has done. And I want to encourage you as parents and, and the friends, don't just, don't just despise those difficult moments and say, I don't want my child to go through this because it's so bad for them. No, it's not so bad for them. It could be so good for them. To face challenging times and to face perhaps that moment of, oh, we don't have enough. 
And, and I love that about Zimbabweans, that you just have this incredible tenacity to say, no matter what comes our way, we're going to manage. We're going to have bread of affliction. We're going to have moments of affliction. But actually in that, God is building great character and testimony of his great faithfulness towards us. So walk your children through them. Don't try to spare them the difficulties of life because that's life. It happens. It happens. Guide them closer to Jesus. Eat unleavened bread with them and remind them of God's faithfulness. I want to say create moments in your life and your family to remind one another of God's faithfulness and provision. Create those moments. Stop and think. Stop and thank. Don't just carry on. Even today, as you go and have lunch or dinner tonight, just stop and think of the last week and say, God, I just want to appreciate you for this last week. I want to thank you. But maybe in Monday was a day to remember and I'll never stop. I'll just rush through it. We need to have stories like, like God told them to have these moments so that the stories can be passed on. What stories are you passing on? What stories about God's faithfulness and His care and His love towards you and His grace are you passing on to the people around you, to your children? Then we find in chapter 13, as we hasten on, that the purpose of the Exodus is again emphasized. We read in chapter 13, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, now they've been released to go out. It says, now consecrate to me all the firstborn. Like they've been set free. The first thing that God says, set apart. Set apart. Give to me what belongs to me. In actual fact, God is really saying, because that was the whole aim. Remember, from the beginning, when God said, I want my people to be freed. I want them to come to worship me. I want them to get out of Egypt so that they can come and consecrate themselves. Worship God. That is why God was doing this. All coming back to what we had been speaking over the last couple of weeks is again, is that it was all about worship. It was all about being set apart for God. And so we said that, that they were freed from to be free for something. And that also comes in line with what we have up on the screen here. It says we, they were drawn out, exodus, exiting, to be drawn in. To a relationship with God. And so our deliverance today is not just to be freed from stuff. To be drawn out of things. But it's to be drawn into. To be drawn into communion. To be drawn into a relationship with God. And I'll plead with you as believers of Jesus Christ and followers. Don't just, don't just celebrate your freedom from stuff. But enjoy your freedom. For relationship with Him. Don't just be happy and, 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 and thankful for what you've been drawn out of. Because all of us have been drawn out of stuff, isn't it? Amen? We, we need to celebrate what we're drawn into. And if you've not entered into that yet, talk to us. Let's help you. To help you understand what you're drawn into by God's grace. As a people, their worship of God was limited in that they were just beginning their walk with Him. They didn't really know how to do this. And so God says, come, consecrate. Give of yourself. Come and understand what it means. But today, when we think about our worship, it's extensive. It's wide. We understand more what it means to worship God. And so I just listed a few things of how our worship, what should influence our worship. And look at them. 
Uh, today, our worship should be influenced by who God is. They didn't really have an understanding. They didn't have a Bible, by the way, to read. They had so much less than what we have. We have everything. Today, our worship, our consecration unto Him, our being set apart for Him, is because we know who He is. And we grow in that. And so you, oh, my worship, I have no excuse not to worship Him. Because I've got the Bible to know Him. And it says, we can look at what God has done in the past. Surely, in your own life, you can look at ADGRs and say, wow, God's been good. You can look at the Word and see, wow, God has been faithful. You can see what God is doing today. Look around. Look around and see what God is doing today. Just so many good things that God is busy doing. You can look at what God will do in the future through the Word. You can see how faithful God says He will be. He will never change. And then you know what His promises are. You can study those. And in them you can find, my goodness, God says this is what He will do. He will take care. He will whatever. Come on, there's enough reason to worship. Amen? If you try to find an excuse not to worship the Lord, you're going to battle for the rest of your life. But here we have enough reason to worship our King. And that's why they were set free. That's why you and I are delivered. That's why you and I are saved. My last point I want to make, and this is where I want to kind of bring it home into our context as King City Church. I believe that the Israelites at this ADTR in their lives found them at an incredibly important moment. And Kilton and I were talking about it this week as we were just praying for you. And he came up with this beautiful word. He said, it was a generational moment. Because what happened there was not just for their own benefit. It was for the benefit of generations to come. I believe we are incredibly, significantly poised as a church at the moment. I feel like it's a generational moment for us. I really do. I mean, I've been privileged to be Part of what God has been doing here at King City Church now for over 10 years. And I don't think I've felt like this before. And I don't want to over-spiritualize it. But I really want to say, I feel like this is an ADTR moment for us. And again, I'm not saying it's the 9th of October because of whatever. <laughs> it's just spiritually, I feel like there's, a thing, there's something that God is doing in our lives and in our, in our, in our togetherness that has the potential to affect many generations from here on. Now, I don't want us to miss that. And it's not just hinged on this preach this morning. It's hinged on God drawing us into what it is. He's drawn us out of stuff, but He's drawing us into something else. And I believe what, what the Israelites went through had the potential and does and did do that. It affected many generations to come. I want to take you to a verse that I believe, and I want to ask you just to give me extra time this morning as I, as I just close with what I believe is, is something that I, I trust Holy Spirit will deposit in your hearts today. Is that okay? So I wanted to ask you to go with me to Isaiah 54. I felt the Lord speak to me this week from this verse. Um, outside of the the, the context of Exodus and, and, and that significant ADTR for the Israelites, 
I believe God's saying this to us as a church this morning. In Isaiah 54, God is speaking to his people. And he says to them from verses 1, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. I love that. It's like, God, we've just fruitfulness. We trust you for fruitfulness. And then there's barrenness and it's dry. And God's saying, sing in the midst of that. Hey, what a beautiful picture of being able to, to, to rejoice no matter what. Is that Though the fig tree does not blossom, my, my God, I will rejoice in him. It says, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. God's saying to us that I will do something that will not be able to be explained in the natural. Doesn't make sense that, is it? Ooh, I don't know. God says that's how I work. You look at the natural world around you. You look at Zimbabwe at the moment. You're like, God, how do we do this? Because now verse 2 is going to kick in place. Like, how do we manage this? But God says, sing, O barren one. That's like an oxymoron, isn't it? Well done, it's my English teacher. Um, it doesn't make sense. So you say, sing, O barren one. No, I'm barren. How can I sing? God says, I can make you sing, even though you look around and there's barrenness. Then verses 2 says, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. So it says, expand. Expand. Go wider. And what I have sensed in my spirit, and I said it to a number of people actually this week, I felt like the ceiling of this place is coming down. I'm feel like I'm being suffocated. And I can stand here still breathing, so don't worry. I just feel like sure, where we are is limiting us and where God wants us to go. Not physically, but spiritually. I believe God is saying to us that this is a day to remember. And I'm calling on you to enlarge the place of your habitation. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me just have some water here. I believe the Lord is saying to us that, as it says here, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Do not think what is possible in the natural, but think about what I can do. Don't, don't sing. Don't say I can't sing because I'm barren. God says lengthen, stretch them, and, and extend. And then it says, and this is why. This is why I believe God wants to do this. Because I believe God has this in, in His heart. <laughs> Please forgive me. because. We've got to think about others. We can't just think about ourselves and say this is too small for us. And what we have here at the moment in this place is not practical for us. We've got to think about future generations as what God said to the Israelites. I want you to celebrate this day because I want my people to know in thousands of years from now who I am. Not just what I've done but who I am and what I'm capable of. And so it says here in verse 3, For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring. And your offspring will possess, will possess the nations, and will, peop, and will people will populate the desolate cities. And so what God is saying to us as King City is that I want to do a work in you now. I want this to be a day to remember that you will celebrate and the effect of that will not just be for you. For you that are here, for you that are listening to this preach on, on the recording. 
It's not just for us. It's with others in mind. There are generations that still need to benefit from what God is about to do. And we cannot just stop and say, well, it's great. Look at us. We're a fine year. It's great. We've got a new fan. It's blowing a little bit of cold air in that side. And we can get more fans. And that'll be just be wonderful. Let's just carry on. This is good. God says, I've got more in mind. And it does require a practical change to where we are. And so I believe God wants us to use the story of the Passover to enthuse us as King City Church to see the potential that our faith journey towards our own property and our own land as an opportunity to influence nations and cities. It's not just so that we can say, oh, just because, I mean, we all want land, we all want property, we all want our own building, and we're like, oh, that'll be great. We just don't have to worry about other people. But no, God says, that's not why I want to do what I'm doing. And I've been speaking to you about the land and the property for a couple of weeks already, but I believe today, I want to speak to you on a different level than just the practical side of it. I want to speak on the spiritual level and the significance of what God is about to do in us and through us. And it doesn't require your wallet. It asks for your heart. So what do we need to do? They moved into the, out of the land and what they did is they consecrated themselves. God said, this is what I want from you. I first want your heart. And the beautiful thing, if you go with me to Exodus 25, it's the last verse that I want to show you. Exodus chapter 25. Please excuse my emotion this morning, but I really kind of felt that God has been preparing um, me for this moment. So I believe that, that there's a work that he wants to do in my heart. Not first because I'm more important than you. But I believe God's challenging me. And, and, and in a way saying, consecrate yourself, Bessie. Give up yourself for this. And so I'm not trying to be presumptuous in that either. And saying to you, hey, I'm also taking strain in that. But I believe God is stirring me. Saying there's something that I want you to speak about and declare. That it will be heard in the heavenlies. And that will affect people's hearts. Yes, and eventually it's going to affect our wallets. But here in Exodus 25, it's no longer into this journey. We find that the Lord said to Moses in verse 1, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. God is about to do the work in a sanctuary or a tabernacle. And listen to what it says here. Lord saying to Moses, this is what you've got to do. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. Boy, oh boy. That speaks to us about not bringing our wallets and bringing our riches. It says it's God saying, I want your heart. You've got to take from every person whose heart moves him. And my prayer is that God will move our hearts. Because this is not a physical thing that we're encountering at the moment. This is a spiritual journey that we're on. 
we're not just getting out of Egypt and we're not just getting out of the Bridge Club building into a new property and that'll be great. That's the wonderful thing. No, there's so much more at stake. And I want to declare it this morning that we are moving in the Spirit. Somebody phoned me from the Bridge Club earlier on about two weeks ago and said, Oh, Vesa, I hear you guys are moving. I'm like, no, no. Maybe that's, that's quite prophetic in a sense that they started seeing things that, that we haven't even said yet. And I'm like, yeah, we, we're looking at property. We want to buy property, but we're not close to actually physically going and setting things up there. But yeah, we are actually moving. I want to declare it this morning without any sense of pride, but also not trying to be in any way arrogant, but also not deflating faith and saying, God, we are. We are. And we pray, Father, that you will move the hearts of people in this. And so we want to cross over. And I, I just want to read to you something. And again, I want to appreciate just your time. A friend from South just sent this to me this week. And um, it really just spoke to me. And I've got to read it to you because I feel it's encouragement to all of us. He said to me, I kind of feel like it's a new season for you guys and the church in Zim. I feel like you've been in a place of just enough. Manna daily. But God has more for you. It's a time for crossing over into that which simplistically means crossing the border, which a lot of people do. But crossing a border takes you from a known authority structure to a new and relatively unknown one. And border officials love to flaunt their authority. And he says, a building projects are always a time for people to cross over. And in this instance, it's a financial crossover. The financial system of this world, and he didn't even know that we'd going through this book of Exodus. He says, the financial system of this world is an Egyptian system of buying and selling and percentage increase, etc. But our Father in Heaven's system is one of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping, sowing to the east and reaping from the west, one of multiplication. Crossing over requires a people to put their toes into the raging, scary river or sea as what they did and cross over to God's authority and system. And so I believe that's where we are. This is indeed a day to remember where we say, God, we, we're moving from where we are to where you want to take us. And I've got, just to remind you, we've got those slides up here, just of the property where we have been looking. So this is where we are currently over there, you remember? And down this road, um, the old Gwanda Road is where a piece of land is. The next slide is what we've marked it. It's 50 by 200, so it's 10,000 square meters. And what we've said is $45,000 to buy that. And if we each reckon, hey, my $4.50 can buy it one square meter. How's that? And we can start buying that. And so what we've tried to do, the next slide, is, is actually just a beautiful graphic illustration of this. And we're going to keep this in front of you. I've asked for a banner to be made that I'm going to keep up here in the front. Because I want us to see it and pray into it and trust the Lord for it. Why are we doing this? That will be our slogan. We're going to say, God, we trust you to have this done. And eventually we're going to build something on this. Why? With others in mind. There's the coordinates. That's the genuine coordinates of the property. So we're going to have this banner up. As soon as it arrives, we're going to put it up. But what we're going to do, the next slide, is we're going to actually cover the land like that. And that as money comes in and the square meters are bought, we're going to uncover the land. I'm going to show you how much land is being 
is, has been bought already and how much land needs to still be bought. And so where we are at the moment is there. Next slide. That's how much of the land is visible. Because that's how much has come in. That's where we are. And that's where we're heading. We're going to have this whole thing uncovered and revealed. Amen? And what I want to do is the next slide. See, this is just an illustration. This is a magnet that we have printed. And it's going to come as soon as possible from south. I want to give you magnets for those that you want. I'm not going to force this on you. I'm going to give you a magnet with those words in, unwritten, unwritten on there with a piece of land, a floating piece of land, that your faith will buy a piece of land. You're going to stick this up wherever you want to stick it up. You're not going to buy the magnet. I'm going to give it to you so that you'll be reminded of your journey. Say, so God, let my heart be connected to what you want to do. And I believe, I'm trusting the Lord that God will stir and release and go wild with seeing pieces of land bought with others in mind so that we can set something in place that will last for generations to come. It won't last forever because nothing on earth is there forever. <laughs> but until Jesus wants it to last, it will be there. So the generations will say, there were a group of people in the 2022 Somewhere there in those years that were prepared to let their hearts be connected to what God was doing at that time. And may this be a day to remember in your life and my life where we said, God, I consecrate myself. as what the Israelites did. Thank you for what you've done. We want to consecrate ourselves for what you are still going to do. So let's close. Father, this morning I thank you just for your incredible grace upon us in terms of where we are as a people. I thank you so much that this is way bigger than what we could ever have imagined. At least for me. I don't know about the others, Lord God, but this is more than what I could have ever imagined. And 45,000 will just give us the land. And we've got to build, Lord. We're going to create space. Maybe we can buy more land. I don't know. But Lord, I trust you that you will help us. That indeed, Lord God, from now on, we will live this mindset that, God, you've done a work in our hearts at such and such a time. It became a day to remember because of what you did in the hearts of people. And we trust for more days to remember in the future. Lord God, I pray that in December we will walk on this land and we'll go have a, a worship session there We'll create an open space and we'll go and we'll celebrate your love, your kindness. Lord, I, I pray that that will be a day to remember. That we will see more days to remember appear and become real in our journey ahead. So Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for that. I thank you for that.